What it is, yo? What's up? It's your host, Deion K. Smith, and this is Real Talk Sports. Happy holidays. Took a break over Christmas. Didn't put any content out, but this will be a content-filled pod. I appreciate you all for listening. Got so much to talk about. James Harrison is released or cut by the Steelers, and he signs a deal with New England. And I have a update on the NFL MVP race. Carson Wentz is no longer my favorite. Wait till you hear who is. And I'm going to talk about the NFC South and its division crown race. It's between New Orleans and Carolina. I'm going to tell you who I think wins and whether or not Atlanta gets into the playoffs as a wild card. And, as always, if you have any feedback, any opinions that you would like aired on the pod, just call in. And if you don't, if you're listening via any other podcasting service, whether that be Overcast, Apple... Uh, the podcast app, or Anchor. Always call in. You can leave a voicemail at 769-242-1615. Now let's talk James Harrison. James Harrison was cut before last Sunday's game, or last Monday's game, I'd say. And he landed on his feet in New England. But the cut is not as surprising as reaction from teammates or former teammates rather so according to teammates James Harrison asked for a release which he confirmed in Twitter on Friday that he did ask to be released because he signed a two-year deal over the, in the offseason and he did not sign up to ride the bench and be a cheerleader in his own words um, but I do believe him signing with the evil empire being the New England Patriots it tarnishes his Steelers legacy. Now, of course, the Rooney family isn't going to disown James Harrison because he helped deliver two championship rings. And when I say deliver, I meant he was part of the team. We got in trouble on Twitter because Romo said something about Dion, and I said Dion delivered a, a championship ring. Romo didn't, and people got all over my timeline about that. So I'll say helped deliver uh, two championships. So Marquise Pouncey and Bud Dupree were two teammates, two former teammates that came forward to voice their perspective on the James Harrison ordeal. And uh, both players do confirm that he, he quit on the team. Uh, after being declared inactive for some games, he would depart from the stadium. Uh, he often missed practice and he slept through meetings or should I say snored through meetings. But in my ever so humble opinion, I believe even though he's with the Patriots, his career is over. His career was over two or three years ago. Um, he, Cause he actually took, stepped away from the game and and, and he was picked back up by the, by the Steelers. But by signing with the Steelers, he does put himself in a position to taste success one more time before he goes out So I'm pretty sure he envisions himself going out on top and playing some kind of role with the Patriots defense. I'm sure Belichick will find a way to use James Harrison in a way that the Steelers could not find a way to do. 
So what I like to do is spark a conversation about whether or not James Harrison is a Hall of Famer. Because for four years, he dominated. So from 2007 to 2010, in those four seasons, he was one of the best outside linebackers and pass rushers in the game. He has two Super Bowl rings. He has five Pro Bowl appearances. He has two first-team All-Pro designations or accolades. I don't know how, how you would put that. But he's been All-Pro twice, first-team All-Pro. And he also won Defensive Player of the Year in 2008. So once again, call in. Let me know if you think James Harrison is or isn't a Hall of Famer. And, and let me know why. Is it Was longevity an issue? Is that why he shouldn't get in? 769-242-1516 is the voicemail. Now let's shift gears. Let's talk about the NFL MVP race. So for the last two or three weeks, or four weeks I'd say, I was behind Carson Wentz up until he tore his ACL, and then I even still believed that he had a shot at winning. But what I did not see coming was Todd Gurley just going off. So being the logical person I was, if Carson Wentz would not win it, it would be Tom Brady. But now I feel like Todd Gurley has supplanted Tom Brady as the MVP favorite. Last week versus the Tennessee Titans, Todd Gurley went for 276 yards on 32 touches. He averaged over 5 yards on the ground and over 15 yards through the air. So, in respect to Todd Gurley's alma mater, Georgia Bulldogs, I'm about to take you between the hedges and explain to you why Todd Gurley is emerging as a top-tier running back this year. So Sean McVay is one of the most brilliant minds in the NFL, brilliant young offensive minds. Um, so what he has been able to do is, so Sean McVay being the brilliant offensive mind that he is, has kind of made defenses play with their hand behind their back or with a blindfold. Because if you watch majority of the LA Rams offensive sets, their base formation is a three receiver set. So you're gonna have Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods, and Cooper Cup all on the field at the same time. So you force the defense to bring in a fifth cornerback or defensive back. That is forcing teams to get into the nickel formation. So they removes a heavier, bigger linebacker. So now that only puts five big bodies in the box. And with five linemen, you can get a hat on a hat you create space and get Todd Gurley to the second level. And Sean McVay is very smart by doing that because he's opening up more running lanes for Todd Gurley. Because I'll be honest with you, a year ago under Jeff Fisher, I was calling him a bust because he, he didn't even surpass a thousand yards last year. And the only thing that is currently stopping him from being the most complete back in the, in the league is he fumbles way too often. But when you're getting over 250 carries a year, you should expect to fumble sometimes, but ball security is somewhat of an issue with him. But that does not tarnish his numbers at all. He's putting up career highs through 15 games. He has 1,305 yards rushing, 13 touchdowns, 738 yards receiving, and six receptions. All those are career highs this season. So Sean McVay has allowed Todd Gurley to show his versatility by catching out of the backfield, something you saw 
while he was at Georgia. So before the Tennessee Titans game and a group message with my fantasy football buddies, I said that the magic number for Todd Gurley would be five. He needed five touchdowns to win the MVP. And how I came up with this was, well, he's not going to be stopped by the Tennessee Titans or the 49ers in his last two games. I expected him to score one on the ground and one through the air against the Tennessee Titans. And I also remember the 41-39 shootout in which Todd Gurley was able to score three touchdowns. Now, Todd Gurley may not be the best back in the NFL, but he's definitely the most valuable back in the NFL this year. With all due respect to Le'Veon Bell, who's able to do it on the perimeter between the tackles and everything, Todd Gurley is a close second. In my opinion, there's no way that Tom Brady still wins MVP after Todd Gurley, after what he's done the last three weeks and what I believe he's going to do against the 49ers. I believe he's going to score three times because he needs to score three times in order for my theory of the magic number being five to be right. So I do believe he's going to score three times. But what I do like, I do like that is able to get the 49ers to produce points. Um, so it's going to allow for Todd Gurley to get more passes out of the backfield. But if it's a blowout, I can definitely see him getting well over 150 yards rushing. As always, y'all, call in, give me feedback. Let me know what you think about Todd Gurley winning MVP. Let's talk about the most entertaining playoff race this Sunday. The NFC South has come down to the last week. Uh, it's a division where you often see teams go from worst to first. Um, you do have a very disappointing Tampa Bay Buccaneers facing off a surprising New Orleans Saints. Uh, the New Orleans Saints really surprise me because of how balanced they are. Uh, as Drew Brees gets a little bit older in age, you do need to take a lot of the responsibility off of him. And they've been able to do that this season. And he, the offense has flourished with a two running back monster. I just said a two running back monster. A two-headed monster at running back. Sounds a lot better. So I expect the Saints to take care of business against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But where it gets interesting is the Atlanta Falcons are playing for their playoff lives against the Panthers. So earlier in the season, the Panthers were able to defeat the Falcons 20-17. to um, But I do believe Atlanta is starting to click a little more now than they were earlier in the year. And I just don't know which cam we're going to get. We're going to get good cam or bad cam. And now I wonder how important the NFC South crown is to Sean Payton. Because I know how important it is to fans. You want a wild card team to have to come to the dome for that first, for the first game. But with a running game, you, running games usually travel well. So playing at more on the road wouldn't be that big of a deal because they are able to move the ball on the ground and take a crowd out of it by holding on to the ball longer than the other team is able to. Carolina is interesting because you can get good cam or bad cam. Their defense has been okay. It hasn't been uh, top tier like we've seen in the past. They've had holes in the offense, in the defense this year. But what makes it a little tougher of a task for Atlanta is 
Carolina is playing for something too. Usually in these last week of the of the year games, there's one team playing for something, there's one team that's not. But they both are very very much alive in the playoff hunt and in contention for the NFC championship. But my favorite is the Saints. I like uh, my favorite are the Saints. No, I'm gonna say is the Saints. That sounds a little bit better. Uh, their balanced attack has been the biggest surprise of the season, and it is the biggest reason of their success. And now I heard my girlfriend's dad say, last time a hurricane hit New Orleans or hit the coast, the Saints won Super Bowl. Uh, but I'm not going to take it there. I'm going to say the last time they had a top 10 rushing offense, they were able to to win the Super Bowl. And let's not forget about how solid their defense has been. Now, their front seven is unstoppable. Cameron Jordan is having a breakout year. I don't know if he's having defensive player of the year um, impact, but he's definitely having the greatest impact on that Saints defense. The back end is what worries me. Lattimore is a solid corner, and he usually follows who he he has followed Julio, and he normally follows the best corner. It's the opposite corner that usually gives Atlanta's defense the biggest problem. And if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, you're probably hoping that the Panthers take care of business and you beat Arizona. That's the only way that you're going to be able to get in. So, call in. Let me know if you think Carolina Panthers are going to be the NFC South champions or the New Orleans Saints. Now, I know what a lot of teams don't want to see. They don't want to see the Seattle Seahawks get into the playoffs because Russell Wilson can give defenses fits. And he, he, he doesn't have a running game. He has a poor offensive line. I mean, it might be the second worst. New York Giants definitely have the worst. So he, they're running a close race for the worst in the league. But he manages to make things happen. And the Legion of Doom is turning to the Legion of AARP. The way they're aging and the way they're falling apart. Alright, let's switch lanes. And let's talk about NBA rumors and trade talks, maybe? JaVale McGee is unhappy with Golden State. With the emergence of Jordan Bell and Zaza Pachulia's or as Skip Bayless likes to say, Zaza, but cheap shot. In his absence, uh, Jordan Bell has looked excellent playing the five. Um, he, he's, his athleticism is off the charts. He's a very exciting player to play, to watch play, considering all that team does is shoot threes, but with his athleticism, it makes it even more exciting to watch him do putback dunks. But JaVale McGee has not has not openly complained is is rumors um, that he they were looking to trade him to um, the Milwaukee Bucks and as Jalen Rose likes to call them team futuristic because in about three or four years that team is going to be one of the best teams in the East but if the Warriors do in fact decide to trade JaVel McGee um, they would be trading a minute, a minute, a minimum contract, and they made it very clear in the offseason that he didn't have a chance of starting. And Jordan Bell is basically a 
rich man's JaVale McGee uh, in terms of raw athleticism. So as a Bulls fan, you can understand my disappointment in trading Jordan Bell away for some cash. And uh, as Jalen Rose said, it was to buy out Ray John Rondo's contract. But as a Bulls fan, you got to think how amazing of a team it'd be to have Zach Levine and Jordan Bell on the floor at the same time. God. Now let's talk CP3. Uh, Chris Paul is now eligible to sign a four-year, $132 million extension with the Houston Rockets. Uh, with his salary starting at $29.5 million in 2018, uh, he's allowed to re-sign now because it's the six-month anniversary this Friday of his uh, trade to the Rockets. But, like any other brother would do, Chris Paul is probably going to wait till July when he can sign a five-year, $205 million contract with a starting salary of $35.3 million. But I thought I would throw in that he's allowed to sign an extension uh, because it, it's news. But I don't know for sure if he's going to even re-sign with them in July. Because don't forget, the Banana Boat Brothers, I believe they all have showed interest in playing together on the same team. And you know what makes it a lot easier? Two guys are already on the same team from that collection of athletes. So I'm just going to throw this out there onto these pod airways. Chris Paul could sign... If it's not about money, if he doesn't care about money, because at this point he's, he's, he's changed his kids' and his grandkids' lives. So if it isn't about money, he could sign with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Because if they can agree, if they can agree to an under-the-table deal where he agrees that he's going to sign... Isaiah Thomas is not going to be a Cavalier next year. And I mean, this is IT's fourth team. Started with the Kings, then went to the Suns, Celtics, and now the Cavs. He's no stranger to having to move around. But I do believe he's underpaid, undervalued, and underappreciated. Because pay this man his money. He's a scorer. He has the same kind of impact as an Allen Iverson, being undersized and still be able to hold his own. I'm in no way saying that he is the next Allen Iverson or he is as great as Allen Iverson was. But in the in terms of stature, they're in the same ballpark. Let's talk about uh, Derek Rose. And my question for listeners, um, I always have an unpopular opinion. I always say things that will always intend to say things that make you really think about where you stand because in this world of opinionalism it's often the hot takes that get all the ears and all the listening but I have a real question I I used to say as a Bulls fan I I used to say that Derrick Rose is going to be one of the greatest players to ever play the game but as you and I can both agree, injuries have robbed him of his prime. 
it's a, it's a lot like a Grant Hill situation. Um, Derrick Rose is one of the only players to win in LeBron's prime, win the MVP in LeBron's prime. So that accounts for something, right? Let me give you some of Derrick Rose's career highlights. Uh, he was MVP in 2011. He was a three-time All-Star from 2010 to 2012. All-NBA, first-team All-NBA, I'll say that, in 2011. 2009, he was Rookie of the Year. And this accounts for something to me. He was a member of two gold medal FIBA World Cup teams. Now I'm not sure if you all remember that was like a, uh, a SAT grading scandal that happened with Memphis and Derrick Rose. So Derrick Rose's only season in Memphis at the University of Memphis was vacated and wiped away. So if you were to consider him for the Basketball Hall of Fame, which takes into account what you did in college, what you did internationally, and what you did domestically, my question is, is Derrick Rose a Hall of Famer? I, I don't believe you can, you, you as a voter, you know what he did in college. I mean, you can't take it into account, but you know the kind of athlete he was in college. Uh, it came down to one shot versus Mario Chalmers that was in between him and a national championship. Um, he shot 33% from three-point land as a freshman. Uh, he shot 71%. That's not flattering. What free throws. Uh, he played about 30 minutes a game. He averaged right around 15 points, five assists, and five rebounds a game. Um, so he was he was very dominant at the college level. He definitely opened the door for players like Tyreek Evans. And in Derrick Rose's prime, he was one of the very first uber-athletic point guards. It was nearly impossible to stop him on offense. The way that the Heat stopped him, they put LeBron on him. So if he never played another game today, from this day forward, is he a basketball Hall of Famer to you? He is, in my in my my opinion, he is a Hall of Famer. But I want to get some feedback. Y'all want to know why or why he isn't a Hall of Famer to you? As always, thanks for checking out the pod. Um, always give me call-ins. Always leave voicemails. 769-242-1615. Um, follow me on Twitter at I Barely Tweet, where I do polls and all kinds of stuff like that. And I will be dropping a Black Monday pod for all the coaches that were fired. And I will also have my take on who their replacements will be. So have a happy New Year, and thanks for listening. Peace.